Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Hey, everyone. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. The decision has already stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion in many states across the nation. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. The decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to choice.crd.co. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, we're doing a special episode. It is time for our annual Midway Through the Year Top 10 List episode. And joining me as he has for the past few years, it is Josh Bell, film critic and co-host of Awesome Movie Year. We are each going to share our top tens, a couple honorable mentions, talk about some uh, picks from the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group, which if you're not a member of that group, you should join that group. It's uh, facebook.com slash group slash piecing pod. Just check the show notes. It's in there. We have a great conversation coming up, a nice long one. We talk about a lot of great movies. We have a couple of overlaps, a couple of movies that we both had on our lists, but a whole bunch of movies overall to talk about. So that's coming up in a second. Before we get to the conversation, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And I already told you to join the Facebook group, so you know about it. So with that said... Let's talk about some of our favorite movies of 2022. All right, it's that time again, the middle of the year, to talk about our top 10 movies of the year so far. And as we've done in previous years, we've got Josh Bell from Awesome Movie Year to help me do it. Josh, how's it going? It's going all right. How are you? Ah, I'm great. I'm, I'm excited to... Talk about all these movies that we've been loving all year long. Has this been an awesome movie year, Josh? I mean, as we say, every year is an awesome movie year. That's but right. I mean, it's just something that we say on the podcast all the time now. But I mean, I think it's really true. You can always find something good. You know, yeah. there's plenty of times when I mean, I might complain or people complain like, oh, I didn't. There's nothing been nothing good this year. There was nothing good this year. But the sheer volume of movies means that if you look hard enough, you'll find something that you like. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I think we can look at, well, what were the big movies, the movies that everyone paid attention to and say like, ah, oh, maybe that wasn't great this year. But um, no, there's always there's always good stuff. I definitely 
did not have trouble finding some things to talk about on this episode. I mean, I always keep like a running list and I, I had 10 on that list a month or two ago. So um, I, I think, yeah, there's there's been some awesome movies and I hopefully there will be some more coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find like, you know, spoiler alert for my list, but I found that this year I'm liking a lot more of like the populist, like just big blockbustery type movies. And uh, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, theaters are back, quote unquote, you know, it's like, it's good to see these movies doing well for the most part. A couple of them haven't done as well as maybe uh, were expected, but uh, people are watching all these movies. And so hopefully that means We'll see lots more good movies coming soon, I think. Yeah, hopefully so. I mean, I think we're still at the point where the ones that are successful are just those ones on that really big blockbuster level. And other movies, for the most part, are still kind of struggling in theaters. But yeah, um, yeah it's always nice if something that's hugely popular you can actually enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, this weekend that we're recording this, I think the top five movies all made over $15 million. That's That's a good sign. Yeah, and that that also means probably that there's some, you know, slightly less gigantic movies that were making some decent money. So that's, sure. you know, that's something that's good to see. Absolutely. Well, let's start getting into our list here, and then we'll get some uh, honorable mentions at the end. I also have some uh, recommendations from the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group, which we'll talk about at the end as well. But let's start off. What is your number 10? Well, my number 10 pick is uh, a movie that really, I think, has gone under the radar that kind of went under my radar as well, but that that really impressed me, especially with its acting. It's a film called All My Puny Sorrows, uh, based on a novel by Miriam Toes, Taos, I'm sure I, I'm probably mispronouncing her name. That was a pretty highly acclaimed book, I think, a few years ago. Um, but this adaptation didn't really get the attention that that I think it deserves. And it's possibly because it's a very, very heavy movie. Uh, this is a movie about depression and suicide. It's not like a fun watch, really. Mm. Um, but it is an, it's it's very emotionally affecting and it's incredibly well acted. Um, Alison Pill is the main star of this film, who I okay. think is a super underrated actor. Um, yeah. And. Uh, Sarah Gadon or Gadon, again, I'm going to mispronounce all sorts of people's names here, um, <laughs> who's also very good and also, I think, underrated, less famous than Alison Pill. And they play this pair of sisters who come from a Mennonite community in Canada. It's, it's a Canadian film and uh, grew up sort of in the shadow of their troubled father's suicide when they were young. And uh, Sarah Gadon's character has inherited, I guess you would say, some of this this mental illness. And she is also suicidal despite having this seemingly great life and this huge success as a concert pianist and this loving husband. And so the movie is really about the relationship between these two sisters, where uh, the one sister, Sarah Gadon's character, at the beginning of the movie has a suicide attempt and Alison Pill's character comes in uh, to town, to their hometown where they grew up and is trying to help this sister. And she's dealing with her own issues. She's going through a divorce and trying to parent her teenage daughter. And so, but it's really about this sister relationship and about mm -hmm. the, the, the difficulty of sort of convincing someone with mental illness to not have a mental illness, which of course nah. is an impossible thing. Sure. And you know, uh, things don't turn out well in this movie. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah. 
but it's it's very emotionally affecting. And and one thing I really liked about it, and I haven't read the book, but it's based on a book and it doesn't shy away from the fact that it has these literary origins. Like you could criticize this movie for having mannered dialogue and for having too much sort of flowery narration, but it feels like reading a literary work. And Alison Pill's mm. character is also a writer and she sort of has this detached view of her own life at times of writing about it and how how might I reflect on this horrible situation in my life and write about it in a book. So um, it's a tough watch, but I think it's very good. Um, I believe it's out, um, you know, for like VOD rental right now, uh, All My Puny Sorrows. Yeah, it sounds great. Sounds heavy, of course, but yes. uh, it sounds really good. And yeah, I really like Alison Pill. Uh, I'm going to have to check that out. I had not heard of it at all. So I'm glad you brought that one up. My number 10, uh, a little bit uh, more lowbrow than that pick. Uh, I told you when we recorded our Beavis and oh, Butthead man. Do the Universe episode, this might sneak in, and it sure did. Uh, number 10, Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe, out now on Paramount+. Plus. I haven't laughed at a movie like this all year, I don't think, and that deserves a spot for, if nothing else, that... You know, this this top 10 is going to be coming out before our Beavis and Butthead episode, but uh, I do mention on there that, yes, it's basically just a 90-minute episode of the show, but it's a really, really good episode of the show, and I had so much fun with it, so many great laughs. Uh, I think it updates the formula just enough to, you know, be a thing in 2022 without it just feeling like lazy or rehashed or anything like that. I think it absolutely deserves to exist as its own movie. And uh, I think it's such an easy recommend. Like, there are some movies that are going to be on our lists that are like, you know, it's great, but, you know, it might not be for everybody. I, I feel like I feel like you could just put this on and have a great time. I mean, I had fun with it, too, as we talked about in our episode. It definitely... Um isn't a top 10 movie for me. Sure. Um, but I mean, I, I love Beavis and Butthead. As I also said on there, I was a huge, huge fan when I was a teenager and I was happy to see them return. I did feel like it it was so much like a long episode that I, I wanted a little more out mm -hmm. of it. But certainly if you're a fan of Beavis and Butthead, you're going to enjoy this. I don't know who, if you, I mean, obviously if you don't like Beavis and Butthead, you wouldn't enjoy this, but you know, it's it's it, there's a whole generation of people who probably are not even familiar with Beavis and Butthead. And I don't know how this would be as an introduction, per se. I'd be curious. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's enough like like ridiculous funny in it that like I think I think young people would probably get it. I hope so. I, I, I you know, I can't say I can't detach from my own familiarity with it and, and sure. love for it. But yeah, it's a lot. It's certainly a lot of fun. Absolutely. What do you got for number nine? Uh, so my number nine pick is uh, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which was uh, a big movie at film festivals, um, I think mo mostly last year, had gotten a lot of acclaim. So it was a movie that I'd heard already like a lot of great things leading up to it. And a lot of times movies like that disappoint, not necessarily even because they're bad, but just because you've heard for months and months and months about a movie being great and it's hard to live up to that. But I thought this movie really delivered. It's a very, very simple film. It's two characters in a room, essentially, for almost the entire film with uh, Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormick. Emma Thompson plays this retired teacher who has been widowed and has decided to hire a male escort to give her kind of these sexual experiences that she never had in her long, long marriage to what sounds like a very boring man. Um, mm. And y there is sex 
and nudity eventually in this film. Uh, although one of the things that I thought was impressive was the way that um, the director, Sophie Hyde, kind of cuts away from these things and almost builds like anticipation. Like she's a, I'm not arousing the audience per se, but uh -huh. but really getting you primed for this. And it's a big release at the end of the film when you finally see all this stuff. But it's sure. not so much about that as it's about emotional connection between these two characters and especially about Emma Thompson's character kind of finding herself and her sexuality and her confidence and and realizing that she not wasted her life, but never really asserted herself in a way that she should have or 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 was able to in mm -hmm. all those years of her marriage. So Emma Thompson is just fantastic in this movie. And I realize it's sadly it's not eligible for Oscars in the way that these things work right now, um, but it is eligible for Emmys. So hopefully she'll get some kind of awards attention because I think she just gives one of the best performances of the year in this movie. And it's also funny. I mean, it's not, I was just talking about this, you know, suicide movie and, and there's some serious stuff in here, but it's not like a heavy, difficult watch. It's, yeah. it's very sex positive and exuberant about these people having a connection and discovering each other. So it's on Hulu right now, which is why I can't get an Oscar. Uh, good luck to you, Leo Grand. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. And it's definitely the kind of story that, you know, we don't really get enough of. And so uh, it, it sounds great. And I'm looking forward to watching it. My number nine is Turning Red. Pixar's Turning Red uh, from Domi Shi about a little girl who, when unchecked, her emotions turn her into a giant red panda. Just a great coming-of-age movie, really deals with teenage awkwardness so well. Uh, there, there's so much fun that comes from the, uh, you know, the early 2000s setting with the boy bands and, uh, you know, all the characters are really fun. Uh, I think of the recent Pixar films, it's probably my favorite of, like, you know, I think we've gotten four since the, you know, pandemic era. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, this was one of the ones that just went straight to streaming, which happened to all of them except for Lightyear. And, you know, we probably could have traded any of them for Lightyear, really. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so much fun in this movie. And uh, the characters are so great. I think uh, the character of Abby is one of the funniest things to come out of a Pixar movie lately. And uh, I think it's just a, a great, fun movie with uh, representation of different characters that you normally wouldn't see uh, getting movies made about them. Yeah, I uh, I also love this movie, and I will bring it up later. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, what do you have for eight? So my number eight film is Duel by Riley Stearns, who is, uh, I feel like, has become one of my favorite filmmakers. This is his third film, and he's just weird. <laughs> um, but... but in a, I mean, in, I feel like in a kind of an accessible way, I don't know if this film is more or less accessible than his previous films. Um, it has more of a sort of big sci-fi concept. It does take place in this either future or kind of alternate world in which people can be cloned in mm -hmm. order to uh, people who are terminally ill can clone themselves or not even terminally ill, even just uh suicidal or for any reason, it seems like if you're going to check out, you can clone yourself to provide a new self for your friends and family to not be too upset about your death. And uh, which was the exact same concept as a movie from last year with Mahershala Ali 
and whose name I just suddenly has escaped me. But I was forgot actually about quite good. that movie. Yeah, I never did get around to seeing that. It was good. Swan Song. Swan Song is what Swan it was called. Swan Song. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was a very serious movie. Um, and this movie is a comedy, although it's a very dark dry sure. comedy uh and karen gillen is really really good as the main character who discovers that she has this terminal illness and decides sort of really without thinking it through to clone herself yeah. and then just as quickly discovers that her illness has mysteriously gone into remission and she is not going to die and the other weird thing about this future world is that two identical people cannot exist and so if this situation arises they have to fight each other to the death and yes. so she is uh preparing herself for that uh aaron paul plays this trainer who tries to help her prepare to kill her clone um and it's just it's 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 very funny and it's completely absurdist it certainly has a lot of yorgos lanthimos kind of uh sure. influence but i i like riley stearns more than lanthimos i think there's um, a level of emotional reality to his films that maybe Lanthimos kind of hides from in some of his movies. Um, and, and just really a lot of it is down to how good Karen Gillan is in these in these two roles here mm -hmm. as both the original and the clone and the way that they're actually quite different. Like the other thing is like this process seems to be very ineffective because the clone does not it's not really an <laughs> yeah. exact copy of you. It's yeah. supposed to learn to be you, but the learning process doesn't seem to work very well. Um, yeah. But that's part of the absurdity and the comedy of this film. The new version of her uh, is better liked by her boyfriend and her mother. And it just escalates the absurdity in a way that is really funny, but is also really, I feel like, insightful about people's insecurities. The idea that like you are not even the best version of you sure. and someone else could be you better than you can. And yeah. that's a I feel like that's a really identifiable feeling. So mm -hmm. it's certainly weird and it's very mannered and the performances are very dry and I could see people being put off by it. But to me, after uh, Faults and The Art of Self-Defense, this is three for three for Riley Stearns. He's excellent and I really look forward to what he does next. Yeah, Duel is actually on my honorable mentions list. Uh, I, I loved it too. And we talked about Art of Self-Defense here on this podcast uh, a couple of years ago. I still haven't seen Faults. I'm looking forward to watching that soon. Uh, I think it just hit prime. But yeah, th this movie was great. And uh, one other thing, uh, Aaron Paul... Not you know the bar is probably pretty low, but probably his best post Breaking Bad role he's had. Yeah, I feel like Aaron Paul is someone who did one part really really well and has yeah. never really like been able to successfully branch out and maybe doesn't always make the best uh, choices and roles like you know Need for Speed or something trying to find sure. a blockbuster for himself. But yeah, he's very good here and he fits fully within the world and it's another kind of. You know, it's a self-defense instructor like we had. The the art of self-defense was fully built around that. But it doesn't feel like just a copy of that sure. Alessandro Nivola character from that movie. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my number eight is RRR from S.S. Rajmuli, the uh, Indian film that a lot of like the film Twitter world has gone nuts for. And rightfully so. It's freaking great. It's completely insane and over the top and ridiculous. Uh, it, it just 
goes so far over the top that animals are being used as like weapons and people are fighting piggyback on each other and one man versus a hundred men and just all kinds of crazy stuff happening. And then of course we got dance sequences and music and all the things that you would normally associate with those kind of films. There's also a great central bromance between these two guys that uh, as they, you know, come together, then break apart and become enemies and then come together again. There's just a great story here. It's way too long. That would be like one thing that I would kind of put against it. Um, I think it could have been cut down quite a bit, but it's still so much fun. And, you know, as somebody who loves things like um, Shoot 'em Up or Speed Racer or like these kinds of just really as far over the top as you can get action movies, this really puts that bill really well. Yeah, I haven't seen it, and it's certainly been a sensation. And it's interesting to see that it's become a sensation because, I mean, it is a huge hit in India, but it's only one of, like, many, 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 many huge blockbusters that India has all the time and sure. that, that never break through here, really. This director's US. last two were probably two of the bigger ones that have broken through. So it's like this director seems to keep breaking through here. Right, right. But it is interesting to me that, that you know, for whatever reason, this one has become the sensation that has reached beyond and i haven't i haven't seen this film nor have i seen any of those indian you know kind of blockbuster mainstream type films any indian films i've seen are smaller independent films mm -hmm. so i'm totally unfamiliar with this world um but i'm curious to see this film i've held off because i don't know did you see it in a theater I actually saw it on an airplane of all places <laughs> oh wow okay yeah <laughs> um and did you watch it on netflix uh yes Okay, because I know the Netflix, for whatever reason, the version that they have is not in the original language. It's dubbed into Hindi and, you know, and then we would watch it with English subtitles. So there's sort sure. of like a double distance. And yeah, I was hoping, uh, I don't know if it was distracting to see it that way. Um, if you noticed it I didn't it notice that. Yeah, I didn't notice that. that. That's that's an interesting decision. I wonder what would even go into a decision like that. I mean, I assume it has something to do with how like streaming rights are sold off or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a streaming service that is available in the US called Z5 that specializes in Indian films where mm -hmm. this is streaming in its original language and you can oh, watch okay. it there. Um, but of course, you have to subscribe to that service, which, you know, is a very niche thing. But I'm hoping that maybe uh, more widely available will be that original version. And that's the version that played in theaters is the one um, in the original Telugu language. So, oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's a maybe it's a nitpicky thing. And if it's if it's eventually I'll watch it regardless, because it's a big film this year. And if I have to see it that way, that's on Netflix. I'm sure that's the way that obviously lots and lots of people have watched it because it's on Netflix. Yeah. But yeah, I'm curious about that and this whole phenomenon. And I remember years ago talking to you about this, and I don't know if this is true anymore. You said, does your dad go see a lot of these Indian films in the theater? He did, like, pre-pandemic. He used to go to these once in a while. And uh, yeah, it, he still watches them on uh, on Netflix. You know, I, I, I'll be, you know, sitting there at, at Wax Tracks, and uh, all of a sudden I'll just hear all kinds of crazy action and Bollywood music playing and stuff like that. I'll be like, what are you watching over there, you know? Yeah, he, he still watches some of this stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, did he have, like, other, I feel like he's a like, weirdly, you know, has a knowledge base about these kinds of films that we probably don't. I should have covered this movie and had him on. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so uh, what do you have for number seven? So my number seven pick is a movie that we did a Piecing It Together episode about that I feel like has totally gone under the radar, but 
that I, the more I think about, it, the more I really like is a film called The House on Netflix that's an animated anthology. It came out in January, and that's mm -hmm. when nobody is paying attention to what movies might be the best of the year. I think that was why we did this episode, because you had said, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, what movie much. can we possibly cover? Um, yeah. But I just really liked this movie, and um, I think people who see it have really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a three-part film, all three segments taking place in this same house in different I don't know if you could say different time periods or almost like different alternate universes um, mm -hmm. with three three sets of uh, stop motion filmmakers, uh, all of whom are really, really talented. And uh, one of the the team of uh, I think it's uh, Emma DeSwaif and Mark James Rolls, a more more mispronouncing of names. Their uh, short films are on Criterion. And after watching this film, I went and watched like four of their their shorts and uh, Nikki Lindroth von Barr who is uh, another director here. Her shorts are also on Criterion. So, uh, or at least they were when this came out in January. So, but all like, it was like a whole gateway for all of these fascinatingly weird stop motion movies. And, mm -hmm. you know, we still think of animation as a thing for kids and yeah. which is great. You know, we, uh, Turning Red is fantastic. And like I said, I'll, I'll, you know, have that later. This is not a movie for kids. It's disturbing. Right. It's weird, but it's also funny. It's so incredibly creative. You can just watch this movie. You can watch this movie with the sound off and just yeah. marvel at what these people have created painstakingly, uh, you know, frame by frame. But you should put the sound on because it's, it's great. And it's got dark humor. It's got the, the first segment is honestly, maybe the best horror movie of the year. Um, yeah. And then it's got something that I uh, that I love that is, you know, uncommon these days, which is uh, a theme song about the plot of the movie yes. um, from Jarvis Cocker of Pulp, who also does one of the voices. By the way, RRR has that as well. So yeah. uh, good back-to-back -back picks here. Nice. So, yeah. yeah, I feel like that's something they probably have a lot more in those Indian movies, but we don't have yeah. it, you know, in American movies anymore. So I don't know. It's just a, a really weird, cool glimpse into a world and for whatever reason, you know, Netflix puts out like 8 million things a week and yeah. just dumps them out there. And I don't think they really promoted this, but I hope people will look for it because it's right there if you want to watch it on Netflix. Yeah. Speaking of stop motion, uh, it didn't make my list, but Phil Tippett's Mad God. Um, interesting year to be covering two stop motion animated movies on this podcast. Um, both really cool. The House didn't make my list, but it is great. Um, I, I would have liked it probably as much as you if the two you know, following segments after that first one, if I liked them as much as I liked the first one, I think it kind of loses a little bit of steam after that point. But that first one, you're right, is seriously probably the best horror thing that I've seen this year. It's so cool. Yeah. And you're, I, I agree that the sec, the next two segments aren't as good. I feel like I did like them a lot and it still added up to an overall experience that, and the progression of them, I think was really um, effective. But uh, yeah, that that is true. I think I saw that first segment and I was like, wow, it's January and this is going to be my favorite movie of the year. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's not quite. <laughs> but yeah, I did like that a lot. And Mad God, I wanted to like more than I mm -hmm. did. It's an amazing achievement. And another right. movie you could just watch like with the sound off and be mesmerized by it. But the problem is that if you put the sound on, it doesn't actually add anything to it, maybe because there's not really a story. Or, it's really weird. Yeah, it's but but it's it's you know it's amazing. What a year for animation! You know yes. those turning red, Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead, of course. Maybe some Absolutely. more stuff that we'll bring up in a little bit. We shall see. Yeah. My number seven is also a movie we covered here on the podcast uh, with you, uh, Windfall 
which um, also underappreciated. Uh, we had talked about it during our conversation, but nobody seems to really be in on this movie. But uh, I think it's great. It stars Jason Siegel, Jesse Plemons, Lily Collins. It's from director Charlie McDowell. It's a uh, very Hitchcock-inspired, darkly comic, single-location thriller. It's very tight, very quick. Uh, it's funny. Uh, it's about a guy who's basically holding a tech billionaire and his wife hostage in their house and uh, trying to rob them. But he's not really very good at doing this and he doesn't really have much of a plan in place when he sets out to do this uh and things go from bad to worse very quickly and it's quick it's funny uh it has an incredible score one of my favorite scores of the year uh and you know this is you know we talked about this during the conversation but this is one of those movies that people you know say they want to see this level of movie and then they just kind of you know, let them slide when they actually come out. Uh, so I wish more people would watch it. Yeah, I agree. I had that as a, as an honorable mention to, uh, mention. And, uh, I liked it a lot as we talked about on our episode. And it was a movie that not a lot of people are seeing partially because of this whole net, the whole Netflix thing. Um, but partially maybe because the reviews for it were not all that good, but Yeah. yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. It's one that hasn't maybe stuck with me as much as some of these other ones. But it was a very entertaining film. The performances are really good. You're right. The score is amazing. And, you know, one of those movies that was made in the way that it was made because of the pandemic. But it doesn't sure. feel like you're watching it like, oh, yeah, they were they couldn't do this. There's some movies like that where you're like, hey, this is not what this place would really be or how these people would. But but they couldn't do what they were supposed to do right. here because of those limitations. It doesn't feel like that at all. So I, yeah. I recommend it, too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, what do you have for number six? So my number six is a movie that was uh, certainly a very uh, wide release, although uh, not maybe as popular as uh, studio was hoping for. And that's uh, Robert Eggers, The Northman, um, which I did see in a theater and I have like in an indoor in an indoor theater, which I haven't really done very much still. Yeah. Um, but I went to a press screening of this to write a review of it. And certainly it's a very big, enveloping film and um I don't know if that loses something at home, although I feel like there's so much going on here that that there's a lot to appreciate still. You know, if you do watch this at home, it's not just the the visuals and this this immersive Viking world, which is really cool looking and it's, it's very well shot. And the thing about Eggers, of course, is he always has this incredible attention to detail with the sure. set design and the costumes. And even if you can't like see the fact that these sandals are created in the way that Vikings would have created them or whatever. I think it was, I think it's in this movie where there's some shot where there's a boat like way in the background. Um, But he insisted that that boat be, you know, constructed to the absolute authenticity standards. Every nail, every piece of wood. Right, right, right. But it gives you that overall feel of like, this is how this world is. And I am just being popped right into it. And part of that is like, it's not going to give you a lot of exposition. It's not going to give you a lot of explanation, but it's not like the story is hard to follow. It's Hamlet. It is the source material for Hamlet um, with Alexander Skarsgård as that figure who's trying to get revenge for the death of his father, the king, by his uncle. And it's a basic story, but it allows for very intense emotions. And really, Alexander Skarsgård is the star of this film, but Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicole Kidman are the ones who I think give the best performances 
as this the sort of love interest character who helps <laughs> our main if you want to call it that who helps uh, our main character craft his revenge and is also kind of a, a witch of some sort and nicole kidman as the mother who turns out to not need saving in the way that he thinks and mm. she has this amazing monologue in toward the end of the film where she just destroys everything that this character has built his entire life around and it's amazing oh, yeah. so yeah it's it's streaming on peacock now and probably available to rent as well um but it was certainly an experience in the theater but if people missed it i recommended this movie to to my dad who is basically just watches james bond movies and westerns and yeah. i'm like i feel like this is something that he could enjoy so it's uh, certainly a movie that people have heard of, but I, I liked a lot, The Northman. Yeah, it'll come up uh, later in my All list. Right. And uh, yeah, it, it's awesome. Uh, my number six is Gaspar Noe's Vortex, which a lot less easy to recommend. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, especially to uh, people's dads who maybe are dealing with their own mortality. But mm. um, yeah, uh, Gaspar Noe, you know, always known for uh, being abrasive and provocative as a filmmaker. Uh, and this is his least of that, but somehow still manages to be incredibly scary because it's just such a very real and brutal look at aging and this old couple who are succumbing to dementia basically and stars Dario Argento and uh, also Francois Lebrun and he uses this split screen effect which you know sounds like a gimmick but it, it just really works the whole film is in split screen and just kind of you know helps to show just their separating you know point of views because they can't really connect with one another anymore and that probably does not sound like a good time and it's not really a good time but it's just so damn good the performances are fantastic and it really just stays with you um you know, it's kind of a wake-up call of a movie of just how uh, bad things could get, uh, which is difficult, but is incredibly effective. Yeah, I'm certainly reluctant to watch this movie uh, because of all of that heaviness. I remember watching Michael Haneke's uh, Amour, sure. which is a similar film and is just is brutal. I mean, and, and Haneke is one of those filmmakers where you could describe every one of his films as like, oh, this is going to make you hate life and yeah. that's and it's great that's that's what he does it's that's so everything good, that he does and yeah. no way is not you know uh like you said he's known maybe more for these crazy ridiculous excesses and you know button pushing and that kind of stuff so uh that's the other thing and, and as we've talked about you know the only no way film i've seen which i know is one of your absolute favorites is climax which was mm -hmm. you know i think on my list of the worst movies of the year whatever <laughs> sure. year that came out so yeah it makes me hesitant but certainly you're you know this this is film has gotten a lot of amazing reviews and I, I might get around to it eventually but it'll be something i have to kind of like ready myself for yeah yeah definitely ready yourself before you uh, dive into that one yeah uh what do you have for number five so my number five is a sci-fi film called after yang directed by Koganada, whose first film, Columbus, I really, really liked and is not a sci-fi film, but it's one of the great movies about two people just walking around and connecting with each other uh, mm -hmm. with uh, John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson. And so there's a lot of bigger ideas in this film, which is uh, takes place in some kind of future about this family with an android, Yang, played by Justin Min who has been a companion for their daughter and he malfunctions. And it's really about the quest of the father played by Colin Farrell to somehow fix this robot and, you know, comfort his daughter, who this has been essentially her brother. So it's got some big sci-fi ideas about 
you know, what is life? Is this is this android, can, you know, equivalent to a human life? And what has it meant for him as this sort of companion? And we learn a lot about his background and surprising things that this family didn't know when they purchased this refurbished android. And mm-hmm. Haley Lou Richardson shows up again as part of that storyline. But it's also just really lovely about this father who will do anything for his daughter and uh, the mother too, um, played by Jodie Turner-Smith, who has less of a major role, but but both of these parents who are so dedicated to their family unit that includes this, uh, this android, lovely performances. And like Columbus, it just looks beautiful. Koganata started as a video essayist on YouTube, and he just has this amazing uh, sense of the visuals, the composition of shots and the editing and the set design, which really doesn't look like any other kind of sci-fi movie. This right. this very warm uh, sort of earth toned future is the opposite of what we think of as typical sci-fi movies. There's these self-driving cars that seem to have gardens in the back of them for some reason yeah, that I really like. like. So it's just a, it's a it's a slow kind of meditative film. But it's it's excellent and it has a, a great scene that we talked about in our uh, awesome movie year episode about Les Blank, um, sure. a scene of Colin Farrell talking about a Les Blank film uh, all in this tea and doing his little Werner Herzog impression and just <laughs> such a weird, unexpected thing. But uh, I, I liked it. Um, I believe it's it premiered on Showtime and I believe it's it's probably still available to watch there. Yeah, Afternoon is really good. Uh, didn't make my list. Um, Colin Farrell is on like such a role, I feel like, the past like five years. So many great performances. Uh, this is a movie that I feel like if I ever revisit, I'll probably like even more the next time, you know? Um, but it, it's definitely one that leaves you like questioning, you know, everything that's going on in it. And uh, I, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I think eventually maybe I will. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, not as deep, but my number five <laughs> is, so th- this one is kind of my Godzilla vs. Kong in a way of this year in that I can't separate it from the theatrical experience of seeing it, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it's jackass forever. <laughs> uh, if I tell you, Josh, how much fun I had sitting in an audience full of people watching this movie, um, after all the many delays since, you know, it was originally going to come out, you know, a couple of years ago, the Jackass movies are a lot of fun if you're into that kind of thing. I, I'm not sure. Are you a Jackass fan? No, um, I despise Jackass. You, you but, hate it. But I'm, yeah. I'm now in the minority. The thing yeah. about Jackass is it's it's gone out on this weird journey to now being critically beloved. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And it really is like probably the best one of the bunch. And, you know, again, part of that may be the experience. It was an extremely cathartic thing to just be sitting there with people just laughing their asses off at this movie. And that made it just so much fun. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, say where it fits in with other movies, movies with stories and performances and whatnot, but it's just so much fun. I haven't watched the, uh, the 4.5 that for whatever reason came out on Netflix instead of Paramount. I, I, I will never understand that. Whole yeah. Situation. There's some deal. I think Netflix has all the 0.5 ones, but not the actual main movies. <laughs> Bizarre. Absolutely weird. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've heard that it's actually really great too. If you're you know into this kind of thing. So uh, you should not watch it, but other people listening, go watch 4.5. I'm going to one of these days. Yeah. I, like I said, I just, this is one of these kinds of things that is just like, I load this, like, yeah. One of my worst theatrical experiences was seeing, I can't remember if this is the second or third Jackass movie that I felt obligated to see for review purposes or whatever. And I've avoided, I, I like, 
from the beginning when this was an MTV series, I probably saw a couple segments and it was just like, this is 100% not my thing. I can't deal with the, the gross out element of it. And I hate pranks. Pranks to me are the absolute worst form of comedy. I really just find pranks like reprehensible. So everything about Jackass, I find like I don't mind Johnny Knoxville. I've seen him as an actor and some stuff and he's perfectly fine. But yeah, yeah, this is one of those things where I can just categorize it as like absolutely not for me. There's no way I'm going to appreciate it. But I'm glad that people are having a nice time with it. Yes, absolutely. What do you got for number four? So my number four is Turning Red, uh, the Pixar film, which which, of course, you just brought up. And I agree with everything that you say about that. And what I've loved, I think what is what is disappointing about Lightyear, but what was great about the three previous Pixar movies that Pixar just or that Disney just threw on Disney Plus and didn't give a chance to get into theaters is that these movies are really personal, that that it, it mm-hmm. takes you know hundreds and hundreds of people to make these animated films. But yet there's this vision of a filmmaker that comes through. And that's mo- more the case in this even than in like Luca and Soul, where I think there's a lot of it as well. But Domi Shi brings so much personality to this film. And it's so obviously influenced by her own background, her own interests. And I think that's part of what makes this movie a great coming of age story. It it doesn't try to be everything to everyone and then come off as generic is that you can sense the passion about boy bands and, you know, uh, the cultural background that she came from. And it's very Canadian. I love that about it as well. Um, And I've never even been to Canada, but, um, you know, you got the real sense of like Toronto in here and all of that. And then the characters are just so much fun. As you said, not only the main character, but Maylin, but also all of her friends. And Mm -hmm. it's really the distinctive family members. And of course, it's Pixar, so it's gorgeous. I mean. The design is beautiful. The panda looks like, you know, there's a running gag where one of the friends just wants to like kind of hug and pet the panda at all yeah, times. Yeah. And yep. you can like feel how that would be if, oh, you, yeah. you know, the way that this movie is is designed. So, um, yeah, this is one of those movies that just watching it the whole time, it was just like pure joy. So I, I know, you know, it's on Disney Plus. I'm sure many, 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 many people have watched it, even though it didn't come in, into theaters. But I don't know if you thought for some reason that this wasn't for you or you're off of Pixar movies like watch Turning Red. It's so good. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I uh, said it by name, but Four Town, great, uh, great band name, great songs, which are written by uh, uh, Billie Eilish. Yeah, Billie and Phineas, Eilish. her brother. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, great music. Great movie. Great pick. Yes. Um, My number four. You brought it up already. It's The Northman. Uh, Robert Eggers latest. Uh you know, I'll just add, you already, you know, said most of it, but I'll just add, you know, leading up to that movie, they showed this trailer like constantly for like the six months leading up to it. Every time Alexander Skarsgård catches that spear and throws it back at the guy, I would, I wanted to stand up and cheer. It's just like one of the best moments. It's just so great. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it looks incredible. There's so much just awesome visual stuff happening the score the sound design the way that i got to see this in dolby which was very exciting i mean the way that everything just crunched and just super just uh, amazing amazing sound design in this thing yeah i mean I, I don't really know what else to say about it it's it's great it's i don't know if it's my favorite of his movies i think i still love the lighthouse more i mean just seeing those two go at it you know but uh it's awesome and 
he is just such an exciting filmmaker. I it sucks that people didn't see this movie as much as they should have, but uh, I will definitely be excited to see whatever Robert Eggers does next. Yeah, me too. I think it is a shame that he, you know, took this big swing and it seems like a disappointment. And I feel like I've seen, you know, in post release interviews with him, he seems to be having some sort of existential crisis about yeah, what to do as a filmmaker. That, that sucks. But. Yeah. So I hope he'll pull out of that. And I mean, even if he makes a movie on a smaller budget, you know, he made The Witch for much, much less money. And to me, that's still probably my favorite of his films. And it's, you know, he he can come up with something that meticulous and, you know, that uh, effective on a smaller budget. I hope he does that and doesn't just sit there in despair thinking like I can't get 90 million dollars anymore so I can't make the movie that I want to make or whatever or uh, yeah you know decides to just uh go direct some episodes of a streaming series or something so that he can pay his bills so I, I have to assume even if he does have to like do something at you know a probably more appropriate budget I, I'm sure Anya Taylor-Joy Ralph Ennison you know these people will still want to work with him you know Willem Dafoe and I'm sure he'll be able to still pull something off oh yeah I mean it's he seems like a, a director that actors really admire and, and want to work with and you know he gets the bigger names here you Nicole Kidman and Ethan Hawke uh, even Alexander Skarsgård is a you know is a pretty big name right now so yeah I'm sure he can do that. I just hope that he, you know, again, he sounds like he's like, what is even going to happen? What am I doing? And uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you got for number three? Well, my number three is another animated movie. Uh, speaking of great animation this year and another movie that Netflix dumped out there and nobody paid attention to. And it mm. is uh, Richard Linklater's Apollo 10 and a half, A Space Age yeah. Childhood. And you would think that a new Richard Linklater movie would have gotten more attention than this movie did. And not only yeah. that, but a great new Richard Linklater movie. Absolutely. Um, a rotoscope animated film that, you know, takes the style that he previously used in Waking Life and in A Scanner Darkly. And also another movie that is heavily inspired by his own upbringing, his own childhood, you know, previously... Uh, dazed and confused and everybody wants some movies that were also heavily inspired by his own experiences. This could easily be the first sort of part of that trilogy taking place, you know, with this with uh, him as at a younger age, all about growing up in Texas in the 1960s in sort of the shadow of the space program. And it's just infused with nostalgia. And it's one of these things where you feel like it shouldn't work because literally like 75% of this movie is just Jack Black as the narrator naming things like yeah. things yeah. that Richard Linklater remembers from his childhood, describing it. It's almost like an illustrated audiobook at times, but he's just so good at at drawing you into this world and making you feel nostalgia for something that you yourself never even experienced. Yeah. Um the movie looks great, of course. He did have more uh some Netflix money for the rotoscoping, so it's a bit more polished and sophisticated than those other rotoscope films, but it still has that nice kind of janky handmade look that rotoscope films uh, often do. And there is a plot uh, of sorts, not only within the family, but this sort of fantasy sequence of this kid imagining that he's going to be part of the space program, much like Beavis and Butthead going to be mm -hmm. sent into space despite being a child. Um, yeah. It just... It, it, it makes you feel it could make you feel nostalgia for your own childhood, even though if it was nothing like this. Um, and I, I, I just I just loved this film. And I think it's as good as as any of those other great Richard Linklater kind of emotional journey films, whether it's 
uh, Days and Confused or Everybody Wants Some or Boyhood or the before films. Maybe not quite as I love the before films so much, but it, it certainly fits in there. And I think people just didn't even know that it was out there. So it is on Netflix and, and watch it. Yeah, it didn't make my top 10, but it's in my top 20. Um, it, it's great, you know, and uh, we covered it with Jason Harris here on Piecing It Together. And uh, I think Jack Black deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he does a great job. I mean, the whole movie is him doing the narration. And yeah, uh, he does a great job. It's like the whole Wonder Years type thing. But it's just, uh, it's it's a really fun movie and a really great idea for a movie, you know, to be able to reminisce back at that. And I, I love... One thing that I really loved about this, I, I mentioned it on our episode, is the uh, the rotoscope recreations of like the old commercials and stuff like that. That which is all part of that whole reminiscing. But I just think that that's just really cool. I would just I would watch another thirty minutes of those. They're just so cool to see. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's that's the power of this film. That even though it's just like Jack Black saying, and then we watch this commercial, and then we watch yeah. this show, and then we played this board game, and you're like, what next? What did you do next? Oh my god, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'll go to my number three, uh, which is a movie that feels like it was made just for me and a lot of other people out there who are like me who love Nicolas Cage. It's The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent from director Tom Gormican. This idea of a movie about Nicolas Cage playing himself down on his luck, uh, his career is in shambles, and he gets a call from this rich guy who wants him to come to his party. And then it all basically turns into kind of adaptation style, uh, its own kind of action movie uh, that it's not really supposed to be from the beginning, but then it gets there. It really could have went bad. It could have been super cheesy, super corny, not funny at all, like just like a lot of Nicolas Cage's direct-to-video movies of the last 10 years. Uh Everything about it, I think, works really well. It's just a really fun celebration of not just Nick Cage, but of those kind of action movies. Of you know, his friendship with Pedro Pascal is a celebration of dudes who love to hang out and watch those kind of movies. You know, and back to it being a celebration of Nicolas Cage, it really treats him with that reverence, and uh, it it. It gets it. It gets what's funny about him, but what's also awesome about him. And it, it's it's not like shitting on him, but it's also not shying away from the fact that, yes, he's made a lot of bad movies over the last 10 to 15 years, but it balances all of that so well. Yeah, I like this movie, too. It's not on my top 10 list, but I, I had a lot of fun with it. And I do love that it's it's a celebration of being a fan of something. You know, yep. of Pedro Pascal, like part of the journey of that character is he's like all shy about how much he loves Nicolas Cage and he learns to be proud of how much he loves Nicolas <laughs> yeah. Cage. And that's yeah. a great thing. Um, and I definitely love this this resurgence of Nicolas Cage. And you're right that he's made a lot of bad direct video movies, some of which I've seen. And but unlike a lot of these stars who are hard up for money for whatever reason and take a lot of these roles in bad movies. Nicolas Cage is always giving, even in the worst of those movies, he's always giving his all. You can tell that he's really thought about what is this character and what is my approach to this character, even if the writing is terrible. Yeah. Um, and I, I I certainly appreciate that. I, I love the renewed attention on him um, because of this movie. I got to write a couple pieces about 
Nicolas Cage and revisited some uh, movies. You know, of course, he's a he's a longtime resident here in Las Vegas. And yep. uh, I checked out he's made five movies here to varying degrees and uh, watched all those again. And I, I love how enthused he is about Las Vegas, um, yeah, you know, absolutely. and how those movies that he's been in here uh, really celebrate our city and like show all these different aspects. Um, I watched a couple others and, and you know, eventually we will do our first time watches uh, you know, at the end of the year that we usually do best first time watches and uh, Moonstruck for me, which was one that I'd never seen. Um, I've never seen Moonstruck, actually. Yeah, so, so good. So okay. good. Um, and I watched that for the first time as as part of, you know, prepping a Nicolas Cage piece. And it was just I, I, also one of these movies where if you describe the plot, it's like that doesn't sound good at all. And <laughs> yeah. just the, him and Cher and Danny Aiello and the way it's written and directed, it just comes together so beautifully. It's, I would recommend watching Moonstruck. I, I will get to that before our uh, first time watches episode. I'm going to definitely watch that. Uh, what do you have for your number two? So my number two is a movie that I watched last night. Um, nice. And I went and rented at a red box kiosk outside Albertsons. I love last minute editions. This watched is last night, but it's a movie that I, I mean, I watched it last night because I'd been wanting to watch it for months. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that I was highly, highly anticipating. Uh, it's Ty West's film X. And oh, nice. um, I love Ty West, especially his horror films, uh, the house of the devil and the innkeepers, I think are both incredible movies some of the best horror movies of the past uh probably more than a decade now what what is time the past 15 <laughs> yeah, sure. years the past 20 years i don't know but they're both great and he's been kind of away for a while and the last couple of things he did before this uh he made a western called in a valley of violence was his last film which is really entertaining but is not a horror movie and his previous horror movie before that the sacrament is not the best but this is a return to the greatness of those earlier films it is just an absolutely loving pastiche of 1970s horror and mm. 1970s porn, which sure. I love the fact that he treats both the horror of that era and the porn of that era with the same reverence, with the same attention to detail, to recreating what it would look like. The plot of this movie is that a group of uh, sort of aspiring adult filmmakers from Houston travel to this remote farm in order to make their their porn film and uh, they get murdered um, <laughs> by this really weird old couple who seem to be murdering them as part of like a sex fetish thing, which is yes. great because you think the porn aspect, once the people start getting murdered, you're like, oh, well, we're not going to really have this sort of sex aspect, but it, no, we do. And the motivations for this, this old woman character, Pearl, who does the killing, um, are all about wanting to feel sexually desirable. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. thematic stuff going on in this film. The fact that Mia Goth plays both the, the main uh, sort of porn actress character as well as this old woman character under some really effective makeup where I think seeing this movie at festivals for the first time, people didn't even realize that it was her yeah, under that makeup. Yeah. And and the, the the sort of reflection between those two characters. But at the same time, 
this is an A24 movie and there's these cliches about oh elevated horror and we get to the point where horror movies aren't scary and they're so concerned with their like deep themes that they forget to be horror movies. And that's not the case here at all. You can just sure. watch this movie and enjoy the surface pleasures. It's so well constructed. It's incredibly well edited. It's just funny. Uh, Brittany Snow is really good in this film oh, too. Yeah. So I just had a blast with this movie and I'm so glad that I did because I was excited to see it and I crammed it in there at the last minute and it was just super, super fun. So go rent it at your local Redbox kiosk. Yeah. Uh, Ty West's X. Excellent movie. Uh, again, top 20 didn't quite make my top 10, but uh, yeah, it's great. That that overhead shot with the crocodile. How yeah. That, yeah. You know? So that good. Awesome. So much suspense there. Yeah. And just everything like from the opening shot where he uses the aspect ratio as like creates an aspect ratio within the frame out of the things that are in the frame to sure. give you a sense of like an old eight millimeter porn film and then expands it out. Like from that first moment, you're like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing so yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. No, great stuff. And by the way, Jenna Ortega is having a good year as well. I mean, uh, I, I didn't find Scream to be, you know, as good as some other people did, but the fallout was great. And I think she has a couple more things coming out later this year. Yeah, so. she has some some smaller indie thing that I, American Carnage, I think it's called, that I okay. gotten some yeah. press releases. I don't know if that's going to be any good. But yeah, yeah, I thought Scream was fun. Um, yeah. It's certainly not like a top 10 or 20 or anything movie for me. But as a big fan of that franchise, I thought it followed up on it well. And she certainly yeah. was good in that uh, in a scene where she talks about elevated horror. I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Yes. Uh, my number two is absolutely ridiculous, but I had so much fun with it. It's Michael Bay's Ambulance. Uh, pure, over-the-top, ridiculous bayhem. Uh, Michael Bay's best movie in forever. Jake Gyllenhaal is just an absolute maniac in this movie. Uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen is great. Isa Gonzalez, like, carries the movie. She's so good in it. Michael Bay's ridiculous obsession with drone shots made this, like, kind of, you know, it's this thing. I, I said this on Twitter, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if anybody agrees with me, but this is kind of like my malignant of the year. Like, this is a movie that, like, it's ridiculous. It's it's silly. You could easily, like, write it off as just being dumb or whatever. But I feel like it's somebody who is known for this genre and is just showing off. Like, just showing off for fun's sake. And I feel like that's what Michael Bay is doing in this. Uh, the story is basically these two brothers. One of them's good. One of them's bad, basically. And uh, the, the bad one kind of ropes the good one in to a bank robbery because he needs money for his wife's surgery. And, uh, of course, it goes completely bad. It, one of the things that's so great about the movie is that the bank heist is done within, like, ten minutes. And we're already into where everything has gone bad. And uh, and then it's just nonstop, like, speed-like action from that point forward. Just, like, suspense and action and uh, ridiculous Michael Bay-like stuff happening. I, did you see Ambulance, Josh? I did not. And okay. um, I don't know if you would like it necessarily, but there's some great, great moments. I, I think you'd like Isaac Gonzalez in it. I think she's she's really good, you know, and uh, it's just it never lets up. It's one of those movies. that just keeps keeps going, you know? Yeah, I had thought about seeing this because you're not the only one who loved this. I mean, this is maybe what Michael Bay's best reviewed movie or maybe his second best reviewed movie after Pain and Gain or something like that. So uh -huh. the critical mass for this film made me think maybe I, I should see it. 
And as it was playing, I, I kept thinking, oh, I'll go, I'll go see it at the drive-in. I'll go see it. And I just never got around to it. Because the truth was, I didn't want to see it. Yeah, um, that's, that, that's fair. You that know. <laughs> much like Gaspar Noé, I don't like what Michael Bay does. And even sure. when he's acclaimed, I didn't like Pain and Gain. It's just this guy does not make movies that I like. And mm -hmm. the prospect of and this is a fucking long movie, right? It's it's it like two and a half hours long. Everything's um, long now. You know? I know, but I, I <laughs> one of the things, and of course I haven't seen it either, but this is a remake of a film. I, I want to say maybe a Dutch film or, or something right. like that. Dutch. Yeah. It is an hour longer than the movie that it's remaking. Yeah. <laughs> and so. Well, we needed to fit in those uh, the, those drone shots. So, you know? Right. Yeah, apparently so. So I don't know. It, it, it just like, it was like, I couldn't bring myself to spend money and time on this, but I, I may eventually have to catch up with it because it has been so highly acclaimed and and I hope I'll be proven wrong. I hope I'll come out of it saying, you know what? That is the first Michael Bay movie that I've really enjoyed. But instead, every time I see the title of this movie, all I think of is the sketch from the new Kids in the Hall show, I, which I don't know if you've watched. I, I haven't watched it all. Where no. the, the kid's uh, grandfather has a, a heart attack and can't speak properly or a stroke maybe. And he tells the kid to call for an ambulance. And the whole sketch is all of these people trying to find an ambulance. Nice. I like and it. it's 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 absurd and funny, but I just, you know, I keep thinking of Michael Bay's uh, ambulance. So nice. that's all I have to add to that. That's great. I, that's a good uh, addition for sure. <laughs> we are to our number ones. I am excited. Josh, what do you have? So as often seems to happen for me, my number one film is a movie that people don't seem to have cared for or paid attention to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And a movie that I almost didn't watch. Um, mm -hmm. I think this happened to me a couple years ago with the film Dreamland, where I remember like the week it came out and I had a screener and I was like, ah, do I need to bother with this? I don't know. Is it going to be worth my time? Reviews have been mixed to, to, you know, just kind of dismissive. I guess I'll watch it. And I, that was my number one movie that year. And currently my number one movie this year is a film called Mothering Sunday that uh, came out in some theaters February or March, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so. Nobody cared. <laughs> um, most of the reviews are even the positive reviews. I think it has 70 some percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And most of the positive reviews even are fairly dismissive of this as a kind of a standard period piece, which is what I had expected. It's set uh, in the 1920s. It's a British period piece um, about a, a young woman who's working as a maid in an upper class household, Odessa Young, who plays the main character and is so, so, so good. Probably my favorite performance this year. And it takes place sort of over a single day in her life, but it, it radiates out so that this single day sort of encompasses everything about her life. And mm -hmm. a lot of it is very impressionistic and nonlinear and not what you would expect out of sort of a standard buttoned up period piece. This is one of the most uh, sexually explicit movies this year. Uh, mm -hmm. The main character is having an affair with this uh, young sort of scion or heir or whatever you would say of, the, of another rich family played by Josh O'Connor and incredibly sensual scenes of their affair. And 
she she has this sort of clandestine meeting with him and then he has to leave to go to some family obligation and she's left alone in this ginormous mansion and he says oh you can you know stay as long as you need my parents won't be back and she just walks through this mansion naked like mm-hmm. luxuriating in the wealth that she will never have and there's and she's an aspiring writer and there's a scene of her in this this beautiful library that of course all of these old uh, you know, aristocratic families have where you have to wonder whether they even read these books. And she's caressing these books almost like she caressed her lover in the mm. previous scene. And it's just one of the most like erotic depictions of wanting to be a writer that I have yeah. ever seen. And it sounds really weird, but it just works incredibly well. And it, there's a tragedy element to it. This, uh, you know, her lover it dies suddenly and dealing with the fallout of it and not being able to reveal that, in fact, he was her lover. There's a lot of stuff about the post-World War One and all of these families who are left bereft without their sons who went off to war and died. Uh, Olivia Coleman and Colin Firth, who are, of course, the bigger names here, have really just supporting roles as this couple whose son has died in the war and they've become kind of like numb to reality. And both are really good, but exactly in the way that they need to be to support the main character. And it does move forward in time and explore her life, but it always comes back to this single day as sort of the defining moment for her. So I feel like I maybe I'm not selling this well enough because it's just an experience to envelop you. And maybe mm. I'm the only one who really felt this way about it. <laughs> but uh, Eva Husan, who I think is a French director, is the, the director of this film. Um, it is, I believe, based on a novel. And just and, I, and and it's a movie that I can't imagine the novel having that same effect. You know, it's very cinematic in the way that it's edited and the way that it's shot to give you that effect. So I just absolutely love this movie. And I hope if people kind of dismissed it because of the reviews or because it just looked like Downton Abbey with a bunch more sex or something (laughs) like that, um, that people will see it. I think it's on demand now. It was a Sony Classics release, so I'm sure it'll be available, uh, you know, further on demand or on some kind of streaming service eventually, uh, Mothering Sunday, my number one pick now. And I absolutely could see this being my number one pick at the end of the year. I remember you recommended it at you know, the end of an episode earlier this year, and I haven't seen it yet, but I remember looking it up afterwards and, and reading that, yeah, I mean, it's like one of the most sex and nudity you know, films that have been out anytime recently. Uh, between this and your number 10 pick, All My Puny Sorrows, they both sound like movies Gina would love, so I think we'll have to watch both of these. There uh, you go. I hope she yeah. does love them if you, if you watch them. I will definitely let you know. You said people are not paying attention to that movie. Well, people are paying attention to my number one movie. It's Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Uh, Yes. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Kaczynski and Tom Cruise put this thing together in a way that is just the most fun movie-going experience of the year and one of the most fun movie-going experiences of the last few years, really. I mean, I was never that big of a fan of the original Top Gun, but I'm a fan of Tom Cruise. I mean, his Mission Impossible movies are just the best action movie series there is, really. Uh, And then he's done a lot of great stuff outside of that, Edge of Tomorrow, Oblivion, and, you know, he's great, you know, personal stuff aside. (laughs) He is absolutely great. And the mummy aside, but let's not get into that. But, uh, you know, 
when I first heard about this, I was like, you know, do we really need a sequel to Top Gun? And plus, you know, with the way that legacy sequels have been lately, where every single movie has to have them and they have to always, you know, mirror things from the original. And it's like, ah, do we have to do that whole thing again? But it just does every single one of those things perfectly, I feel like. Um, I, I can't imagine a legacy sequel coming along that nails it this well. You know, maybe Mad Max Fury Road is up there, but I, there's very few that do it this well where it just doesn't feel like they're just leaning on the original it feels like they actually have some addition to the story there is some reason for it to exist outside of ip and money uh there are great performances in here outside of tom cruise miles teller maybe his career best work glenn powell is fantastic jennifer Connolly is great even if she's underutilized uh val kilmer is great in his little cameo everything about this movie the action sequences the uh flight sequences are just just stunning and just so much fun to watch in the theater if they they just put it back in IMAX this weekend where it hit a billion dollars but uh if they manage to put it back in 4DX I will go see it a third time uh because I would like that experience 4DX is you know that's to be used rarely but uh, that would be an experience I would I would go back for, but obviously everybody has seen this, so it's not like a recommendation like, you know, oh, you got to see this little scene movie, but um, I can't speak highly enough about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, what is what is there to say about, about Top Gun? Like you said, everybody has seen it and almost everyone seems to love it. You yeah. know, even, even people who don't like Tom Cruise or don't like the original Top Gun, and I'm not really a fan of the original Top Gun. I watched it again before this and it just i i was never really super on board with tony scott who's been like elevated so much critically since his death um oh yeah and it just i don't know i can't quite be on board with that but i had fun with this movie i think weirdly i went in because by the time i saw it which was like the day it opened um Mm. it had been hyped up so much everybody already called it the best movie right right i was like what is this gonna be and i was uh not uh feeling that good and it was sort of like like physically i was yeah you know and i was like well i gotta go see top gun because i had to you know do review and whatever so it maybe wasn't like the best experience where i was kind of sitting there thinking like okay i need to go home and rest when this is over you know (laughs) um but i still i still did enjoy it i haven't been able to be on board with the extreme you know praise of it but I do think as far as legacy sequels go or as far as this kind of big blockbuster thing goes, it it did a good job with it. One, one thing that I like that goes to Tom Cruise's insanity, but I think that that worked really well here is the insistence on really filming in those jets. Yeah. And you can tell the difference that this isn't just a CGI. This isn't just these guys sitting in a fake cockpit in front of a green screen. Like yeah. it looks pretty amazing. The fact that yeah. they were able to do those things. So that I did really appreciate about it. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, I liked, you know, Tom Cruise. I think the the bigger that he's gotten as a star and the more he's gotten into his weird cult world, he seems mm. to have decided to become sexless. But yes. yeah. um, but I like that they did have, you know, this kind of playful, sensual relationship. They actually did give him a love interest, which they could have easily just scrapped that entirely. Totally. You know, yeah. even though we have the the iconic sex scene with Kelly McGillis in the original, they could have thrown that out and just had more jets or whatever. Yeah. Sure. But they put that in there. So uh, I like that as well. A, a nice reminder. I feel like people have remembered that Jennifer Connelly uh, is a really good actor and is also very attractive and uh, both, both good things for people to remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah. And and I shout out to Oblivion, which is also directed by Joseph Kaczynski, yes. which I think is an underrated Tom Cruise movie. With an awesome score. Yes. Uh, which this had great music, too. Let's go on to some honorable mentions. Uh, do you have anything specific that you wanted to shout out? Well, we already talked about Windfall. That was that was one of my mentions. And the other one is actually something that you did bring up briefly as well, which is The Fallout with Jenna mm -hmm. Ortega. That's another movie from early in the year that seemed to be kind of forgotten. It was sort of big at festivals and HBO Max picked it up and then threw it out there on HBO Max and it didn't get a lot of attention. But I think, you know, sadly, with the more, uh, you know, the school shootings that we've had this year, this is a film that's that's still very timely. And it, it tackles that subject. If you think like, God, I don't want to watch a movie about a school shooting. It's not like that. You know, it's it's about the aftermath of a school shooting from the perspective of someone who is fine physically, yeah. someone who feels, you know, and the, the survivor's guilt that Jenna Ortega portrays in this movie of like, I should not feel bad. You know, why do I feel bad? I wasn't killed. My family members weren't killed, um, but like I can no longer cope with life. And mm -hmm. I think it captures that really well. You know, this is kind of a year of Jenna Ortega and she gives a great performance in this film. Maddie Ziegler, who is not someone that we expect to be a great actor per se, sure. uh, is really good. And their their connection, that it's a kind of a friendship that grows into a romance, uh, is done really well. Uh, so it's an impressive debut for Megan Park, who's an actor. Um, but this is her first film as a writer-director. There's some moments where you think she's trying a little too hard to get like modern teen speak or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But but overall, it's it's a movie about a really heavy subject that actually has this really like positive life affirming feeling to it, sure. you know, in the end, which which I like without discounting the seriousness and the awfulness of its subject matter. So, you know, yeah. another one that I think people probably haven't seen or didn't remember, but it is on HBO Max and people should see it. Yeah, people really should. It was in my top 10 for a while. It just slowly but surely got edged out by some of those other things. I'll also mention Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was my number 10 that got unseated by Beavis and Butt <laughs> to the oh. universe. Sorry to Everything Everywhere One All at Once. One multiverse movie to another. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, two others that I just wanted to mention quickly. You Won't Be Alone, the um, Macedonian film uh, starring Numi Rapace, which a lot of people have compared to The Witch by way of Terrence Malick. Uh, fantastic movie. Very weird, uh, but really stays with you. Um, really, really good. Uh, the other one, I mean, I don't even know for sure how to categorize it, but Line Goes Up, The Problem with NFTs. It's a documentary, um, which is on YouTube, but it is a feature-length documentary uh, from video essayist Dan Olson. And I would say that this thing really... It not only explains everything there is to know about crypto and NFTs, which is all just obviously a big scam, and we know that just on the surface level, but it really like digs into how and why and how it all operates, uh, but really just everything with all scams and everything that's multi-level and everything with uh, stock market things and housing crisis and everything where people are scammed out of money. It, it gets it all in there and it does it in such an easy to follow way that you really like walk away like, oh, wow, OK, I, I get it all now, <laughs> you know, and so I think it's an important movie that people should watch. Hmm. All right. Cool. Yeah, yeah I have not. I, I may have heard of it because you mentioned it, but otherwise, you know, not something that I would have been familiar with at all. Yeah. And I still haven't seen everything everywhere all at once because, you know, it, it, it's been so successful that it's just been in theaters and I'm 
you know, I remain reluctant to go to those indoor theaters uh, and it yeah. didn't play at the drive-in, sadly. So Weird. I didn't get to see it there. Um, but it it is um, coming out to watch at home and I certainly will catch up with it because it's, you know, one of the biggest sensations of the year. And yeah. uh, and I, I hope it will be good. You know, it's, it's something that's so heavily hyped again for so, 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 so long. Seems like inevitably it'll be somehow disappointing, even if I like it. But yeah. hopefully I can, you know, clear that uh, from my mind and, and enjoy the experience. If we're being honest, an hour and 12 minutes into this, you know, maybe people have tuned out at this point. Um, I, I will say part of the decision of allowing it to be edged out by Beavis and Butthead do the universe is people's over response to the movie. Like it's really kind of become a little bit grating. I would say, and I'm just like, I liked it too. And obviously I love Swiss army man, you know? Um, but let, let's, let's calm down on it a little bit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I totally get that. But on the other hand, I'm happier to see that kind of reaction for a movie like this than for like, even like Top Gun Maverick or some yeah. big, you know, Hollywood IP product. I'm just happy that you didn't have Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on your list anywhere. <laughs> D didn't even make my top 20 this year, but still good. It's been a good Oof. year, you know? Oh, there's a lot no. of good movies. It's bad. Uh, well, let's see if there's some bad ones in our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces recommendations. Starting off with Chad Clinton Freeman. Oh, uh, so, uh... <laughs> Here no, we go. Chad, Chad, Chad is great. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dash Cam, which I... I want to watch, like, I, I like the idea of it, but it just sounds so off-putting to spend 90 minutes with an anti-vaxxer in a, uh, you know, talking to the camera kind of a movie. But I don't know. It just sounds like an awful experience. But uh, it actually came up uh, a couple of times. Also, Paul Hibbard brought it up. Um, did you see it? No, I did like the Rob Savage's previous film, Host, which was yeah. also sort of a pandemic thing that I thought was really effective. Dashcam seems extremely polarizing. It's a very yeah. love or hate thing. And it is interesting that because it's not just an anti-vax character. I think he recruited like an actual like anti-vax YouTuber to yeah, play. Yeah, you need herself. that authenticity, right? Right. So. But that's questionable. So <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious, but no, I haven't. I haven't watched it. Uh, he also brought up the scary of 61st, which I heard is just terrible. Um, I mean, that like I, I what 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 is uh, Chad? Where what conspiracy uh, <laughs> rabbit holes is Chad going down? Because that's another one that uh, is uh, is Dasha Nekrasova, who uh, is from Las Vegas. Yeah, by the way. yeah. <laughs> Las uh -huh. Vegas Academy graduate Dasha Nekrasova, but you know who is known as being part of that sort of dirtbag left podcast world, which seems yeah. like quite adjacent to the actual just right wing. Mm. Um, and the premise of that movie is you know, deliberately like tasteless and button pushing the idea that this character moves into Jeffrey Epstein's old apartment that he's essentially that's like haunted by his victims. And, you know, is she's talking about sexually explicit. There's characters masturbating to pictures of Prince Andrew in mm. this film. And it's it's trying so hard to offend you. Yeah, and it's just kind yeah. of pathetic after a while. And and also it's like that it, it poorly acted. And yeah. she's trying, it's shot on film and she's clearly trying to evoke kind of the 70s paranoia thrillers or whatever and just not really succeeding at it, I don't think. Mm. Well, Chad also brought up RRR, so good one on yeah, that, Chad. Sure. Um, yeah. 
Let's go to a couple of other recommendations. Uh, Crimes of the Future came up from both Paul Hibbert and Arthur Wellen. Um, I haven't gotten to watch this yet. I was going to try to watch it before today, but uh, did you see Crimes of the Future? No, this is another one that it's only been in theaters and, and not at the drive-in, so I haven't had a chance, but um, it didn't do much business in theaters. I think it's uh, available to watch at home, Yeah, like at yeah. a premium right now, and I'm sure it'll be available you know, more excessively soon. I, I love David Cronenberg, so I'm very excited to see it. Joe Cox brought up the Batman, which neither of us brought up. Mm. Uh, it's all right. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Paul Hibbert brought up X. That's awesome. Uh, Joe Black brought up Death on the Nile, oh, which, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, so I, I can't really bad. say. It's bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, all respect to Joe Black because he does not care about what anyone else thinks, and his choices are always... I could not predict them. So yeah, way to go, Joe Black. But yeah, death on the he Nile. also brought up Downton Abbey, a new era, which yeah. I wouldn't have expected that from him. But I yeah. uh, just hit Peacock, so I'm going to watch it this week. So yeah, I mean, if you like Downton Abbey, it's just more of that. Yeah, it's fine. Was that it from Joe Black? I feel like there should be more like weird out of left field choices from him. Ambulance, but I already yeah. had that on my list. So right. yeah, so you know. Paul Allen Dixon brought up Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, Matt Shore brought up Top Gun Maverick. We talked about those and The Northman. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that that's basically it then. Um, seems like a lot of the same movies coming up. But uh, yeah, it's uh, been an interesting conversation, Josh. A lot, of, a lot of really good stuff. I definitely want to check out those two that I mentioned from your list that I haven't seen. And uh, you... Probably should not watch uh, the Gaspar Noe movie. So <laughs> I might, you know, like the, between that and Ambulance, you know, I might I might have my resolve worn down and feel like at the end of the year when there's awards to vote on and whatever, like I have to watch those movies. But there's so many movies. There's yeah. so many, you know, and obviously, like, there's a whole list of movies that I wish I could have watched in time for this. Like I watched X at the last minute and and those two are just not on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, Josh, uh, why don't you tell people what's going on over on Awesome Movie here? Well, we have just uh, are, are about to start or have just started, depending on when this is coming out, our season, our new season on the films of 1992. So that's uh, a lot of cool stuff for us to look forward to. We've talked about the 90s a bunch on Awesome Movie Year, and it's a formative time for us, uh, Jason Harris and I, as film fans, and I think for you too, Dave. So it's oh, always yeah. cool to revisit stuff that we loved, you know, as teenagers and also to discover new stuff. So that's going to be fun. And we've gotten a ton of great feedback from listeners and in the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group about movies that people love from the 90s so or from 1992 specifically. So hopefully we'll get to some of those soon uh, and people will be excited about that. You can check out AwesomeMovieYear.com and uh, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter for all of our uh, stuff, our episodes and our uh, polls and uh, all of that. And uh, we hope people will uh, give us some good feedback. Awesome. And where can people find you? Well, you can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com, which the last post on there is probably last year's <laughs> top 10 list, but there's some sure. stuff there. Uh, at Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And if you are here in Las Vegas, you can catch my reviews on KTNV Channel 13 on the 11 a.m. Friday newscasts every week and on the various highway radio stations in multiple states. 
Awesome. Well, Josh, uh, as I already mentioned, uh, you'll be back with us for the Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe episode, but I always enjoy having you on the show, so I am looking forward to the next time we'll record another one. I look forward to it, too. I'm Josh Bell. And I'm Jason Harrison. We co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best picture, and some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about our favorite movies so far in 2022. Thanks to Josh Bell for joining me on that one. And make sure to check out Awesome Movie Year. The season 12 on the films of 1992 is starting. And man, we've got a lot of great episodes coming your way. So check out Awesome Movie Year wherever it is you listen to Piecing It Together. And while you're at it, make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together. And if you like what we do, make sure to rate us and review us. Five stars would be very nice. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. And, uh, you know, this is as good a time as any to mention, uh, I got COVID today at the time of this recording. Uh, I don't know when or where, but uh, yeah, I made it through the entirety of the, you know, initial pandemic, the lockdown, and then into the all of 2021, got married, went on a honeymoon, went on a trip to New York, went on various vacations. I managed to avoid it 27 months, and today I've got it. Uh, I don't feel good. So uh, luckily, as far as this podcast is concerned, I've got this episode. I'm posting it tomorrow at the time of recording, and then I already have Friday's and the following Monday's episode, and... Uh, by then, I'm sure I'll be fine. I'll be recording more episodes. But if not, I got a few other episodes in the can. So we'll, we'll throw those out there and, uh, you know, get them in a little early just to kind of uh, give me a little buffer. But if I'm feeling better in hopefully five, seven, ten days, you know, we'll get some more episodes going. Uh, everybody, mask up. Get vaccinated. The whole thing, you know. Although, look at me. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of the pandemic and COVID and all that stuff. During the pandemic, I made and released a new album that was self-titled called David Rosen. And even though the album's called David Rosen, the title track isn't called David Rosen. This is like, I've seen bands do this before, where there's like a track that's intended to be the title track, even though it's not the title track. Uh... The, the main track of the album, maybe maybe my brain is uh, mush right now, but the main track is called Awake, Asleep, Repeat, which of course uh, it was supposed to, uh, you know, bring to mind everything we were going through during the pandemic. Uh, so that's kind of the title track, and that's the track I'm going to play for you right now, since that's what my life is going to be for the next like five or six days. So I am going to go take a nap. Hope you enjoy Awake, Asleep, Repeat. The album David Rosen is available anywhere you can find music. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together later this week.
West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.